It's another day in your life. I know this because I'm with you for every detailed nuance you choose to acknowledge or ignore. I'm not really anyone that's special or important. I'm a bit boring myself, and that being said, we'll focus on you for the duration of this podcast. If you ever wondered what happens after you die, why you can't let go of your first love, why you're always choosing people who hurt you or maybe fearful you'll miss the best part of your life among the details of routine, well, that's where I come in. See, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life because you're already living it. I'm here to narrate the details of what you're doing so when you wake up or when you fall asleep, you'll know the day you lived, well, it matters. Welcome to Narratives. The grip of his hand doesn't unnerve you as much as you thought it would. The sound of the storm outside booms above you as you look back and forth in an attempt to derive what to do next. The small kiosk in the center of the dome-shaped hub of Terminal C is lit with a dull glow that washes over the attendant's tired face. The young man leans on the cash wrap, and the various trinkets dangle around him. The small emblems of I Heart New York and various sports memorabilia line the perimeter of the stand with a bundle of stuffed animals in the middle. The night outside flashes with a bolt of lightning on the edge of the airfield and crackles in the air. Just outside the glass walls, you see a field of 737s lined up along the runway that lead to the bizarre traffic jam on the tarmac. The wind splatters rain against the windows, and the hub rattles with thunder. The little boy looks up at you, tears welling in his eyes as thunder settles in the distance. You give him a nervous smile. Your brows pull inward and upward along your forehead. It's just thunder. That's all. The boy's eyes offer no semblance of understanding and instead shift downward nervously. He squeezes your hand again as another cascading boom shakes the world. You feel the weight of your two laptops sag along your back as you adjust the strap with your free hand. The airport gate is bustling in a frenzied chaos and the sound of arriving trams just to your right seems to inject a sense of urgency with every arrival. Your feet throb from the long line that afternoon and the walk across three airport terminals to make it to your gate. And now you feel the ache moving its way into your knees and up your lower back. You shift from foot to foot and walk towards the tram station. Here, did you see them here? You motion with your eyes, then mime looking around in a failing game of charades. The boy offers nothing in return. Great, you say to yourself. You saw him crying a few feet from where the both of you were standing a little over an hour ago. You noticed he was alone no older than the age of five, and crying silently to himself. You stood there for a while at a distance, just in case his parents or older brother would show up to collect him. But, after a while, no one appeared. Another tram arrived and left, then another. A few onlookers walked past the boy, and an elderly woman thought about asking if he was okay, but her husband shooed her away. We don't know if he's lost. Leave him alone, I don't want to get involved.
It was then you decided to move out of observation mode and get involved. You didn't mind standing watch over him to make sure no one snatched him away, but the situation had escalated when you realized he was truly lost. You walked up to him and politely said hello. He glanced up at you and was oddly comforted. You stooped down to one knee, and as you met eye to eye, he said something in Arabic. You know the sound of Arabic because Omar spoke Arabic all the time when you hung out in college together. However, you do not actually speak Arabic as you only speak English because you're an idiot American. A second later, you realize he was comforted by your appearance. You look like him, which is to say, you're a similar shade of brown, have dark features, the same hair texture, and have been mistaken for various Middle Eastern cultures most of your life. Usually, you would just back up and apologetically explain, no, I'm just an idiot American, to the disappointment of so many Middle Eastern American families. The boy let out another quiet burst of Arabic and you smile at him with the same warmth you have for your own five-year-old son back home. He calmed down and as you stood back up, reached for your hand, grabbed it, and hadn't let go ever since. You asked him a few questions, slowly with physical gestures in an attempt to get some kind of name. He just shrugged and shook his head. He didn't have any luggage, no bag. No identification, nothing. Instead, he wore simple brown pants, a white linen shirt, and a small hat that matched his pants. His feet were adorned with Spider-Man shoes, and a small pair of matching glasses were nestled in his vest pocket. First stop was the security desk located at the central corridor of the airport. It was a tricky decision to pull the kid away from where he stood since that would be the most likely area his parents would return to find him, but since half an hour had passed, you figured you could risk the 10 minute walk to security and see if they had some sort of protocol for the situation. They had to have some kind of thing, right? I mean, Newark Airport was an international airport, so this sort of thing must be common. When you arrived at the vacant security desk, you realized it was getting late. You ran a tired hand through your curly hair before checking your watch. It was 11.30 at night. You sighed and looked around with the same urgency as the lost boy did at the tram. Flight 427, now boarding for Houston, was announced and it was official. You were going to miss your flight back home. It was a late scheduled flight, but you didn't care. You had managed to finish up in New York earlier than expected and wanted to get back home to your son. After charming a few gate attendants, you managed to get your flight moved to that night. You missed your son more than ever since the separation happened with your soon-to-be ex-wife. He was the only good thing to come out of that failed experiment of a marriage and he held your heart in his little hands. You spent that afternoon in the airport, wandering the terminals as you pictured him running up to hug you, his little curls bouncing around like they always did. The feeling of his little arms around your neck, his excited voice, he would pull you by the hand, excited to show you all the little drawings he had that day in the sketchbook you bought him for his fifth birthday. You imagined all this over and over as you dozed staring out the window of Terminal C. You did the math, 
and knew by the time you got home, he'd be asleep. But it didn't matter. You'd be with him. At home. Away from strange airports and loud crowds. Then you found this lost boy by the tram and realized plans had changed. Instantly, as you watched his small silhouette panic in his solitude, you imagined your own son in his place, lost in some strange city with no allies to help him. Your heart broke the moment you imagined this, and that's when you decided you wouldn't leave this lost boy until you saw him reunited with his parents or at least with the right authorities who could help him properly. So you watched your luggage fly off to Houston without you, and returned to the tram departure arrival area for another hour in anticipation of his parents' arrival. That catches us up to now. It's 2am, and the boy is tired. Initially, he was scared, then desperate, then sorrowful, then scared again, then nervous, then bored, and now he was just as lost as you were. You walk to the small waiting area near the kiosk and plop down. You look at him and he looks back with a near apologetic expression in his eyes. It's okay, you manage your weary smile. We'll figure this out. He turns away from you and begins to cry. In a way, you're just as lost and want to cry just as much. The last four years you've struggled to keep your marriage together for the sake of your son, and you couldn't do it anymore. The years of arguing with your soon-to-be ex-wife the snide jabs she would throw at you, the way she feigned helplessness with life so you were left to pick up the slack. It all outweighed your nerve to tolerate her so your son could have his mother and father under the same roof. There was a huge fight three months ago about her second affair, and then it was over. In the midst of the shouting, she threatened to take your son away from you and vowed you'd never see him again if she had anything to do with it. You didn't know how much of that was true or not, or if it were even possible, but either way, it was your worst nightmare come to life. Then you had to fly across the country for work, and deep inside, feared you'd return home to an empty house and a missing son. You feel a tear run down your cheek, and you stifle a sob that seeps out of your exhaustion. You feel your heart breaking all over again, but for different reasons this time. The lost boy grabs your hand, and you look down to see him staring up at you. You force a smile for him, and he puts your arm around his little shoulders. Yeah, it's okay, kid. We'll get through this. You know you're talking to yourself, but you need to say those words aloud sometimes. He snuggles up to your side, and you see a woman flash you a smile as she walks by, luggage in tow. She must think this is your son, and he's scared of flying, and you are the kind, patient father who is consoling him on your trip across the world. In a way, 
you'd give anything to make it true. To be with your son, flying across the world. And this lost boy at your side would most likely give anything if it were his father he were cuddling up to, safe in the storm. The moment you became a father, the moment you saw your son for the first time, screaming and new to the world, you realize the connection all humans have to everyone else. Once a father, always a father. Any child who is afraid, lost, or needs help, that's your child now, and you'll do what you can to care for them. The future seems entirely unknown at this point, and as you look up from the mass of curls that snuggled up against your suit, you see a new kiosk attendant replace the one from earlier. His work badge has the word manager printed in blue letters. You look down at the boy who is awake but drifting in and out of his own thoughts. You squeeze him with your arm and stand up. He joins you on his feet and wonders what's happening. As you begin to walk to the kiosk, the manager eyes you for a second, looks at the boy, then returns to his phone uninterested. You walk around the cart looking at the various toys, trinkets, keychains, and shirts. The boy looks too, his dark brown eyes exploring the bizarre collections in front of him. His eyes fall on a small stuffed lion wearing an I Heart New York shirt. You smile and point at the stuffed lion. This one? Do you like it? The boy looks at you, then back at the lion, clearly wanting to nod. You take the lion and hand it to the boy with a smile. He takes it, confused at first, then hands it back to you apologetically. You shake your head. No, it's yours. I'll buy it. It's yours. You point at your wallet and nod. He takes a lion and for the first time you see a flash of a possible smile on his face. You pick out a small black robot that folds in on itself for your son and a Statue of Liberty figurine, god awful looking, for the memories. You walk up to the cashier and hand him the selection. He rings it up and you point to the lion. That too, for the boy. He nods, uninterested, and totals your purchase. 3488, he says. You shake your head and hand him your debit card. American? he asks. Yeah, you reply. I thought you two were Lebanese. He points to the boy. He looks like my nephew. He looks back to you. You? You remind me of my brother. <laughs> you shrug. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. He nods. I can see how... Wait, you speak Arabic? He shrugs as he nods. What kind of question is that? I'm Lebanese, of course I do. The boy looks at you, then the cashier. Listen, I found him over by the tram. He speaks Arabic, but I don't. Do you think you could help us out, maybe translate for me? The cashier looks at the boy, and as he begins to converse with him, the boy's eyes light up. He jumps up and down, relieved to hear his native tongue. 
The rest of the morning is a fatigued blur. The kiosk manager, Fadul, tells you the boy's name is Amir, and he is indeed from Lebanon. He shuts the kiosk down, and Fadul, Amir, and you walk back to airport security, where a sprightly young officer has just started his 5 a.m. shift. A short conversation ensues, and by 6.30 a.m., Amir's parents come rushing into the gate from the tram. They had never left the airport and had been looking for Amir the entire time. They had notified the head of security, who then, in a panic, called all of his men to help with the search, which left their post vacant. Eventually, they were able to get backup from NPD, who told security to get back to their posts. It was all of seven hours before everything managed to sort its way out, but it did. Amir's parents wept more than you had ever seen a couple weep as they held their son in their arms. Amir cried too, and you did too, and Fadul pretended not to cry, but he totally was. Fadul translated for you, and Amir's father wanted to give you a thousand dollars for your trouble, which seemed a bit much, but apparently Amir's family was quite wealthy. You refused the cash, and instead gave him a hug then told Fadul to tell them you had to run. Your flight to Houston was leaving at 7.30 a.m., and you weren't going to miss it again. They waved you off, and Amir hugged his lion as he watched you vanish around the corner of Terminal A. As the sun came up, and you stumbled down the aisle of the plane, you sat down, relieved that Amir was with his family. You look at the little Statue of Liberty figurine in your hand and smile to yourself, excited to go back home. Safe in the Storm was written and performed by Gabriel N. Elizondo. Music and effects provided by Epidemic Sound. For a complete list of featured songs in this episode and additional content, please visit www.gabrielnelizondo.com. Narratives with Gabriel N. Elizondo is a Crown and Coil production. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating and review. It really does help. All written content and performances are exclusive properties of Crown and Coil Productions. And thank you for being part of our story. <laughs>